0: Around us, we can see God's grace, especially in the salvation that He offers. We can see God's grace every day in His care for us and in His concern for us. So appreciate Joan singing that for us this morning. Let me go ahead at this time and dismiss our junior church. So, young people up through grade four. You can head out with Mrs. Heisinger over here to my left. And for the rest of us, let me ask you if you would to turn in your scripture to the book of James. Book of James, if you're using one of the Bibles from the pew rack in front of you, you can find the book of James on page 1700. 1700. Last week we began this new series through the book of James, and it's a series that I've entitled Down to Earth, because James is a book about living out your faith. James is going to teach us that it's not enough just to say that you know Jesus. We need to live like we really do know him. James isn't as interested in, in our profession of faith as he is in seeing how we practice our faith. And he wants to remind us, he wants to challenge us that uh, with the reality that true belief in Jesus changes everything. It changes how we think. It changes how we live. It changes how we speak and how we pray. It changes how we act towards others. And through this book, he's going to address all these different things where here is how we ought to live out our faith If indeed we are believers in Christ, it changes everything. And he begins in this book by teaching us how it changes the way in which we view the trials and difficulties of life and how we ought to respond in those trials. So that's the, the point of application. You know, James is a book of application. It's a book of just bringing things down to earth. And where he chooses to begin is in this matter of how do we view the trials of life. And so our text for this morning is going to be just three verses, verses 2-4 through in James chapter 1. I'm going to begin reading in the beginning with uh, with verse 1. We read this, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. I'm guessing that for for most of you, this is a very familiar passage. Uh, Many of you can probably quote it, and, and probably have quoted it, maybe frequently, whether to yourself as you have faced trials, maybe to someone else in an attempt to be an encouragement to them as they face trials. And the basic idea of of the text is plain enough. We're to find joy in the face of trials. In fact, James commands us to do so. You'll remember last week I, I mentioned that in this short book of 108 verses, there are more than 50 commands. And James wastes no time in getting started with those commands when he says, count it all joy. But as most of us have come to realize, living out that command is easier said than done. You know, we're more inclined to say, why me? You know, why now? Why this when trials come? Than we are to say, thank you, Lord. I know you're doing great things in my life through this hardship. So the title of the message this morning is, How to Find Joy in the Face of Trials. How to Find Joy in the Face of Trials. Now, now I say this maybe more for myself than for you, but just to share a little bit of how I think. I've been here five and three quarters years, and I have uh, preached somewhere in excess of 700 messages. And uh, if I have recorded the titles of those messages correctly in my spreadsheet, there is not one of them until now that begins with the two words, how to, okay? A lot of people preach messages, how to this, how to that, and that's fine. And, 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 and the Scripture certainly teaches us many things about how to. But I have, for whatever reason, and, and this is probably just me, but I've, I've kind of shied away from, from approaching things that way. You know, maybe it's a pet peeve, but I don't want us to get the idea that the Bible is some sort of a procedure manual, okay? I live life in the Navy. I understand how-to manuals. I understand instructions that say, do this, 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 and this will happen. But, you know, I I think it's a dangerous thing for us maybe as Christians to kind of take a how-to approach to living the Christian life because it isn't just a cookbook. If I do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, this will happen. There are things that we're told, you know what, if you don't do this, it's going to lead to problems. And there's things that we're told, you should do this, but but ultimately this is a spiritual thing. And then there's more involved than just follow these steps and this will uh, be the outcome. So I tend to, to stay away from how to, right? How to get victory over this. How to do this. How to do this. Because, because I don't want us to, realize, to think that way. I want us to see that, you know what, if God says that, yes, I should do it. And, and if God approves of something and commends something, then I ought to embrace it. And if God says, no, stay away from that, then I ought to shy away from that. And as I do those things, yes, they're going to have an effect on what goes on in my life. But the fact is, it's not a how-to manual. You know, it's, it's a book introducing us to our Saviour. It's a book showing us our God. It's a book teaching us about Him and His priorities and teaching us about ourselves and our sin and our needs and, and, and helping us just to negotiate life, not so much with a follow-these-steps approach, though we surely ought to be obedient when God says to do something or not to do something. But, but there's more to it than that. So, so I've kind of shied away from the how-to approach. But as I read this passage, I was just compelled that, you know what, we need an answer to the question of how can I find joy in the face of trials? And and these three verses give us something of an answer. Certainly if we take the Scripture in its fullness, there's more to it than just this. But but these verses give us something of an answer. As as well as a challenge that we are to find joy in the face of trials. So, So this message... Maybe this will be the only one I'll ever preach. I don't know. That starts with how to, but how to find joy in the face of trials. Let's begin with prayer this morning. Our Father, we are thankful that Your Word is sufficient for all the issues of life. It teaches us how we can know that we have eternal life, how we can be redeemed, how we can be saved. It teaches us how we are to live as saved people, as believers. How we are to walk with you. What you desire to do in our lives. And the Bible says of itself that it gives us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. And so, Father, this morning we're going to look at just three verses. Three of many, many in the Scripture that address the reality of, of the trials and hardships of life. And you tell us plainly, Father, that we're to count it joy. We're to be thankful. We're to be like Paul and Silas who, who sang hymns of praise, having been beaten and put in the depths of the prison and held fast in the stocks. And we look at that and we say, How can how can that be? How does that happen? Father, I pray that you would use your word this morning to just help us to see that indeed, as believers, because of your grace, we can find joy even in trials genuine joy. Not something artificial or worked up or put on your game face, but a reality of soul that we can be thankful for the trials that you orchestrate in our lives. I pray that you would guide my my thoughts and and words here this morning as I seek to share what the Scripture says, the understandings that uh, you've given me from your Word. Father, I know I have no final answer, no uh, just aha kind of a thing that's going to open everyone's eyes, but your Spirit using your Word you are able to minister your truth in a way that transforms and changes. And I pray, Father, that this morning you would help us on that path of transforming our thinking, changing us in how we view trials, how we handle trials, how we deal with the difficulties that that are at this very moment involved in our lives and, and will be day by day in varying measure and varying degrees. We thank you, Father, that you're with us through it all. And there's our comfort, there's our encouragement, most of all. So we commit this time to you, God. We ask that you would work through your word for the changing of lives and for the glory of your Son. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The well, first thing that I, I want to do is just take a few minutes and simply walk through the first part of this text and make sure that we're all understanding what it's saying. I mean, it's it's, it's plain enough, but there is some... Uh, some language that James uses, and, and I want to touch on those things. And he starts out, okay, the first, the first word, the, the imperative, the command is, is we talk about count, right? Count it all joy. And the word that's translated here, count, some people might render it, consider it, or, or think about it this way, or account it. But that word is not actually, sometimes we, we think about, well, there are these accounting terms. And for example, in Romans he talks about reckon yourselves dead. That's a different word than this. This word has the basic idea of lead the way. And the idea in our text is that the leading thought in your mind when you face trials should be one of joy. That's how we need to, by God's grace, focus our thinking. That's what needs to be in the forefront of our minds as we face trials. Not, oh my, what am I going to do? Not withering and worrying and dithering, but but actually a realization that, you know what? This is something that God intends to do great things about, and I need to count it joy. And He says, count it all joy. And you might say, well, what is the all talking about? You know, is it is it count all of it joy? Count every trial joy? Count everything that happens joy? Well, that's certainly true. But I think the point he's saying here, the way that the, the all modifies in this particular sentence, is saying, count it nothing but joy. Count it entirely joy. Count it... Purely joy, okay? Exclude, set aside all those feelings of panic and concern and and wishing things would be different and say, you know what, God, I want to see what you want to teach me here through this trial. I read some guy that, that made the comment. He said that, you know, when we experience trials, we should approach it as a student rather than a victim, right? A student says, Lord, what do you want to teach me? What do you want to show me? What are you doing here? You know, a victim says, why me? Why do I have to go through this? Why can't we change this? This is hard. This is difficult. And, and folks, trials are hard, and they are difficult. But our approach ought to be to count it purely nothing but joy. You know? And James minces no words. He, he speaks in, in rather absolute terminology. And he's talking about a genuine sense of joy and thankfulness when you face these trials. So he says, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations. Now, sometimes this gets translated temptations. Sometimes it gets translated trials. Sometimes hardships, whatever. But it's an interesting word. The word in the original language comes from a family of words that has the idea of things that try you or, or that are intended to prove you. That's kind of the idea of the meaning of this word. And in English, we make a very, very clear distinction when we choose the word typically, at least in contemporary English, temptation and trial. Okay, to us, the word trial means hardship, difficulty, uh, that kind of thing. And the word temptation means an enticement to sin. I mean, that's kind of what we think about. When we hear temptation, we think enticement to sin. We, we see trial, we think hardship. Well, in the original language, the same word says them both. Okay? In fact, right here in this chapter, the same word says them both. In verse 2, he says... You know, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. And and the context there is going to teach us that we're talking about what we would call trials and hardships. And then a little later on in this chapter, in verses 13, words from that same word family are used to suggest the enticement to sin. And you say, how can I tell? Well, it's the context. Verses 13 and 14 says this, Let no man say when he is tempted, there's the word, I am tempted, there it is again, of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man, but every man is tempted. Five times he uses words from that same family. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. So obviously there, that word has the idea of temptation, enticement to sin. But in our text, where he says, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying, that's a different word that we'll talk about here in a minute, The trying of your faith worketh patience. It works endurance. It works perseverance. It works steadfastness. And the context there tells us that James is talking about things that challenge your faith in God, that challenge your trust in Him. And you say, well, how do those two ideas intersect? Well, they intersect because both of them are tests. Trials test your willingness to cling to God in faith, to believe Him when He says He'll take care of you. To believe Him when He says that He is sovereignly in control of all things. Trials test your willingness to to just believe and trust and depend on God. Temptations test your willingness to obey God. Right? To follow Him rather than the flesh. To, to choose what He would have you to choose rather than what your your own sinful flesh wants to choose. And, and frankly, every trial, I suppose we could say, is also a temptation if we want to distinguish those words the way that we do because when you're in a trial, there is a temptation there to, to panic and trust yourself and, and get mad at God. So there is a temptation to sin there all wrapped up in it. So so there is a sense in which the words kind of go together, but the basic idea is is something that is there to test, to prove, to to confront you with something where you're going to have to make some choices about what you do with it and and how you live with it. So James here is speaking in particular of trials when he says, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, diverse trials, diverse difficulties, diverse hardships. Now you say, what kind of hardships does he have in mind? Well, that's pretty easy to answer. All of them, right? Every kind. When you fall into divers, we think about, that's kind of an old English word, we think of our contemporary word diversity, right? Different kinds of things. And so he says, when you fall into all different kinds of of trials, of difficulties. And notice that he says, when, not if, but, but when. It happens. In fact, to some degree or another, every day we face certain trials. I mean, some of them are really, really small, but the fact is, they are trials, and they test our willingness to trust in God. Okay, I experienced one of those this morning. You know, if I hadn't been preaching this, I might have experienced it the way I normally do and not given it a thought. But you know, I woke up this morning and I had a bit of a, of a sinus headache and noticed that I had a a sore throat. And and when your vocation is standing up and preaching like this, you know, having a kind of a sore throat is a concern. And and, and my immediate thought was, our our typical fleshly thought was, you know, why today? You know, it's been a long week you know it's sunday morning couldn't couldn't we at least have waited till monday to have a sore throat i mean that's you know that's kind of the way the way we think that's the way our flesh responds with that with that victim mindset why me why now why this and as i stood there i thought you know i'm going to stand up this morning in front of these people and preach about trials you know i'm not modeling that behavior very well am i you know i'm letting my flesh get the best of me because james says even when you've got a sore throat that is kind of annoying, count it all joy. Don't, don't panic about it. Don't get frustrated about it. Whatever. And you say, well, that's a small thing. It is. It's a very, very small thing. But you know what? Life is lived in the small things as well as in the large things. And he says when you when you fall into various trials. It's not something you're looking for, but it just happens. So it can be those small things. It can be the severe things that we often think about. Being bereaved of a family member. Being diagnosed with cancer. Someone who is perhaps uh, raped or assaulted. I mean, those are, are monumental trials. But they're all trials. And James' point is that whatever the trial, realize that you can and that you should be thankful. Count it all joy. Count it purely joy, entirely joy, when you fall into all these different kinds of trials. You know, those trials might be a chronic infirmity. I, I think of our, our dear sister Arlene Obert. You know as as she has battled m s for these many many years, and, and by the way, thank you to those who went uh, went out there last sunday afternoon and, and I know that was a blessing to Arlene and bill and and some of the other uh, patients there and 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 some of the staff there. but thanks to those who who made that sacrifice to go out and, and have a, a worship time and a devotional time and a, just a time of fellowship and encouragement that that was a blessing but you know Arlene is in the midst of, of a trial that will extend through the end of her earthly life. You know, a chronic infirmity. Maybe it's a car accident that puts you in the hospital for a few weeks and totals your car. Maybe it's, you know, a a trial like the inability to have children. Or or maybe it's having a stillborn child. Or maybe it's having a stillborn child after years of desiring to have children and God not giving that to you and, and the disappointment that comes. Those are severe trials. Maybe it's an addiction that you have or your spouse has. Or a child. Maybe it's a shattered relationship. Maybe it's a loved one who seems to have lost their way and lost the ability to think with a sound mind. Maybe it's losing your job because your company is downsizing. Or getting fired from your job because your boss is dissatisfied from your work. Maybe it's not being able to find a job. Maybe even for a long time despite searching diligently. Maybe it's having your house go into foreclosure. Maybe it's getting evicted from your apartment. Maybe it's having the cupboard being bare. Maybe it's a besetting sin that keeps coming back and you know it's wrong and and you desire to see it change, but you just seem to be held in its grip and, and you're hoping and you're praying for deliverance, but you're still struggling. Those are trials. Maybe it's watching an aging parent experience a steady decline in their health such that you know it won't be long and God will take them. Maybe it's trying to reach a neighbor or a coworker or a family member with the gospel and they aren't responding. In fact, it seems like the more you pray for them and, and try to speak to them, it just creates tension and they're getting harder. Maybe it's persecution of whatever sort. Maybe it's persecution of the ISIS sort or just simply being mocked by co-workers. Maybe it's you're a student and you didn't have very much time to study. You weren't feeling well. You had a lot going on and you didn't do as well and that tested you. All of these things are trials. And James says, whatever they are, Big, small, daily, long term, you know, unexpected and unusual or common, whatever those trials, whatever those hardships, whatever those difficulties may be. And, and we could list a list as long as there are people in here, times, times dozens. And he says, whatever those trials, count it all joy. Entirely joy. And by the word, the word joy means joy, right? Right? I mean you know that's that's not some you know subtle whatever i mean it's kind of joy it doesn't mean you know put on a smiley face and and act giddy and and foolish about hard things in life, but you know joy is not is not the same as happiness, it certainly isn't the same as, as giddiness, but joy is that that sense of security that you know what God's in control here and and God is doing some great things here, and that is a joyful prospect that is an exciting prospect that god is at work he's doing something and i need to to have that kind of joy that kind of, of thankfulness even for something that humanly speaking that that fleshly speaking is not something that i would naturally be thankful for it's not something that i would arrange or desire or apply for or ask for it's something that i fall into that comes along in the course of life ordained by god for god's purposes and I need to count it joy. And you say, How do you do that? You know, how do you deal with the why me, why now, versus, Yes, Lord, I, I, I'm, I'm glad for what you're doing? And, you know, sometimes even we are so selfish that, you know, you see somebody else experiencing a grievous trial. And, and, and your flesh and its selfishness even says, Boy, I'm glad that's not me. And, and James says, You know what? That's not the right attitude. It isn't that you'd say, I wish that was me. But but the point is we are to realize that, that trials are not something that's snuck up on God. And, you know, and he, he he's not an EMT. You know, come come now because, oh my, I, I, you, you got an accident. How did this happen? God is overseeing it all. And and whatever it is that that we fall into, to us it seems like we're falling into it. You know, to God, it's it's a purpose, purposefully, specifically orchestrated plan for our good and we can count it joy our flesh doesn't like trials but james under inspiration says rejoice in them so the question is how and 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 i'm going to give you four observations we'll spend most of our time on the first a little bit on the second briefly on the last two but the first one is this you can find joy in trials if you'll remember that trials are the pathway to maturity and that's really the, the essence of this passage, where, where it goes, the direction that it takes us. Trials are the pathway to maturity. He says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Well, we ask, how? Well, he gives us the answer. By knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Now, let's talk about that word trying here. As I said, that's, that's different from the word that's translated temptations or trials a little bit earlier here in our text. And the word here that's translated trying is a word that comes from the world of metallurgy. And when a metallurgist mines a metal, he finds it in the state of an ore, right? Okay? And, and ladies, if, if you look at your, at your wedding ring or jewelry that you're wearing, you're not wearing ore. Okay? You're refer- wearing a refined metal. Maybe it's gold, maybe it's silver, maybe it's something else, but it has been purified and it has been cleansed and it has been refined. And the imperfections in that metal. That's what robs it of its strength, robs it of its beauty. And the one preparing that piece of jewelry has, has refined it, has tested it, has tried it to bring it to a point where it is pure and strong and, and attractive. I mean, what a metallurgist does. Let's say you take some, some gold ore. He knows that he uh, has to do something rather radical with it. He adds a, a catalytic agent maybe and, and a lot of heat and liquefies that metal and boils those imperfections out of it so that it can reach a higher state of strength and a higher state of beauty. And that's what James is talking about. These trials that God brings into your life are for the purpose of your refinement. Okay, The trying of your faith refines you. It brings you to a point of of, uh, of patience and we'll talk about that in a minute but, but let me just say this, this trying this testing isn't like taking an exam in school where you might pass and you might fail the idea is that God is putting you through a process of testing you in order to find the pure gold within um, that which previously had impurity and that impurity now has been taken away and there has been refining Job talks about that right there's a man who experienced some grievous trials the likes of which most of us can't even begin to imagine. The loss of the the bereavement of his children, the the loss of all of his material goods, Um, a a wife who wasn't exactly encouraging towards him. And he says in Job 23.10, he says, But he, that is God, knoweth the way that I take. God knows what he's doing. And when he hath tried me, that's the same idea. Obviously, that's a Hebrew word, not a Greek word, but the same idea. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. That's not a statement of arrogance on the part of Job. He's not saying, I'm a good guy, and, I, and you know what? I'm going to get through this. What he is realizing is that God is at work. God is putting me through this process of purifying, and God will accomplish what He wants to do, and in the end, I will come forth as gold. There will be dross and imperfections that will be weeded out. And and that which is good and right and pleasing to God and honoring to God, that's what God is going to bring through as a result of this trial. And, And folks, we have to view our trials that way. That this is God undertaking a process of building maturity in our life. Now, what exactly is it that God wants to have come forth as gold? Well, what does the process produce? It says, the trying of your faith worketh patience. And, and the word there uh, it has more the idea, not so much patience as in patience with people, waiting on people. Though, though, you know, certainly they're they're synonyms. But the idea is that of endurance, enduring faith, okay, persevering faith, rather than saying I give up. You know, if God's going to do this to me, well, I don't need Him. In, instead, it's a God. You know, I don't know what you're doing. I, I sure wouldn't have chosen this, but I know that everything you do, you do well. I know you have a purpose and you're trying to help me grow and you're trying to help me learn and so I just want to keep trusting you and I want to keep holding on to you and I want to keep clinging to you through this trial and in the end, I know you'll bring me forth as gold. It doesn't mean perfect, but it means you'll bring me forth and I will have been refined and you will have brought me along the path towards Christlikeness another step or two or three because that's what God is doing through these trials. He says we can know this Know that the trying of your faith, when when your faith is being tested, when you have to make that choice, am I going to believe and trust God or not? Your faith is being tested and as you trust in Him, that that persevering faith builds endurance. It builds, I, I really like the word steadfastness, you know, someone who is firm in purpose, someone who's Fixed in their direction. Someone who is, comparatively speaking, unwavering in faith. I understand we all waver sometimes. And he's going to talk about that in the next couple of verses. But the idea of steadfastness, that enduring faith that keeps looking to God, that keeps going forward no matter what, it reliance on God in dependence upon His grace. One commentator described this endurance, this steadfastness as spiritual toughness. Okay? That was His way of describing it. As we, as we trust in God, as we depend on Him, as we let Him bring us through these increasing difficulties and trials and, and hardships of life, he, he builds in us a spiritual toughness, a spiritual resilience, where we just keep coming back and keep trusting in God. We don't let it break us. You know, it's, it's not about us, but we let God sustain us. And we let God strengthen us and carry us through. At the risk of trivializing this, you know, someone has said when the going gets tough, the tough get going, you know. Well, there's something to be said, though. You know, the the, the point is, you know, it takes hardships to to grow. I mean, people in in the athletic endeavors, you know, they say, they freely say no pain, no gain, you know. But, boy, when it comes to to spiritual realities and, and trials and difficulties, they don't want the pain. You know, when it comes to working out, hey, no problem, no pain, no gain. But but the, but the principle is there. I mean, physical therapy they they under they understand that you know sometimes in order to strengthen, in order to recover, there is a process of pain and difficulty. My mother-in-law is one of the most upbeat, optimistic people I've ever known. Um, you know, the the thought that my wife and I often chuckle about is we we went on a trip to Israel some years ago. She was almost 80 at the time. And it it seemed like, for whatever reason, in the providence of God, at every security checkpoint, and when you get into Israel, those security checkpoints are rather intense, okay? They make our TSA seem rather low-key. At just about every security checkpoint, she was the one singled out to be scanned. You know, I mean, she's 79, you know, Really a threat, you know. Always with a smile on her face. Really a threatening-looking lady. But for whatever reason, she's always the one. So we're all standing there. We've walked right through the checkpoint or whatever, and she's over here, pulled off to the side, standing here with her arms up, you know. And they're and they got the wands, and she's got a big smile on her face. You know, most of us would be saying, "What? It's, you know, this is the sixth time I've had to do this, and, and these more, you know, evil-looking people, nothing." But you know, here I am, you know. But she's she's got a smile. On her. That's the kind of person that that she is, okay, by by her nature and I I think by the working of God in her life. But I remember here, uh, uh, I don't know, I guess it's been about six months now, but she had knee surgery. And I I made a trip out to Minnesota and I visited my mom and then I went on out to to visit her. And this was, I think, like the day after she'd had knee surgery. And and I walk into her room in the hospital and they've got her knee on this contraption and it's going like this, right? Day after knee surgery, at this time, she's, you know, whatever, 86, I don't know. I mean, not young, and you know, and this thing is pumping her knee like this, and she's got a big smile on her face. You know, I walk in and she's just cheering. You know, and I, and I said that that thing's got to hurt. She goes, well, yeah, it does, but I got to do it. You know, and we understand in the world of physical therapy that you know what? Sometimes it takes things that hurt. It takes things that are uncomfortable in order to rebuild that strength, that toughness, that endurance that you need to be able to walk on that knee. I mean, if you just come out of surgery and go home and sit around on the couch, guess what? A few months down the road, you're still going to be sitting on the couch and you'll probably never be able to get up again. But you start right out there when it hurts. And you begin to to move that knee back and forth and flex it back and forth and begin that recovery process even though it hurts. And and we understand that and we even embrace it, maybe with tears in our eyes, maybe not, not cheerfully necessarily, but we understand that concept. That sometimes it takes some some difficulty, some hardship in order to build strength, in order to build toughness, in order to, to recover, and yet we want to question God when He does that in our lives in other ways. You know, we want to wonder, why is God making me do this? Why me? Why now? Why this? You know what? God wants to build that endurance. God wants to build that spiritual toughness, that resilience, where we realize that, you know what, God really can be trusted. And when something comes along that's even harder, I can trust Him then too, just like I trusted Him on these smaller things. And it's day by day, and it's minute by minute, and it's life by life, and we go along and we trust God. And sometimes it hurts badly. You know, sometimes the, the wounds are, are seemingly deep. And yet God's purpose in that is to build spiritual maturity in our lives. Verse 4 says, Let patience, let that endurance have her perfect work that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. The word perfect is uh, not literally perfect, as in without imperfection, but something that is finished, that is complete, that is a full age, something that is mature. And so he's telling us, you know, we can count it joy when we face these trials because God is at work. And and through those trials, he's going to build spiritual endurance, a, a, a persevering faith. And that persevering faith is going to have an effect. It's going to, in the end, do its work that we might be mature, that we might be entire. The idea is complete or whole, absent those gross areas of impurity and immaturity. God is going to so tailor those trials to address the needs in our life and His desire through it all is to bring us to a point of increasing Christ-likeness, of increasing spiritual maturity. And He does it through those times of testing. The first idea here, the first point is you can find joy in trials if you'll remember that trials are the pathway to maturity. And the second observation is this. You can find joy in trials if you'll remember that trials demonstrate God's love and concern for you. Okay, He's concerned for your growth. And, and he doesn't give you more than you can endure. If we go back to that illustration of my mother in law with the, with the machine on the knee, right? On day one, they only went a certain number of degrees. I mean, the therapist knew how far you could go without doing damage. As much as you could to accomplish what needed to be accomplished, but not as far. And the next day, it's a little bit more. And the number of repetitions, maybe, is a little bit more. And the next day, it's a little bit more. And the number of repetitions and the frequency is even more. Because that therapist is watching, and, and they, they aren't looking to harm. They're looking to help, even though the help hurts. And, you know, God is at work in, in our lives. And and He is desiring to help us on that path towards Christ likeness and spiritual maturity, and he will never bring us to a point that is going to destroy us. And his grace will always be sufficient. And and he knows. How far that knee can be bent before the tissue begins to tear, before the sutures begin to be removed, before damage is done, or the pain is too intense to be able to deal with it such that it's going to crush somebody. And so he goes only as far as he knows in his perfect wisdom, in his sovereign plan, is going to achieve his purpose of building that enduring faith and that Christ-likeness, that spiritual maturity, being perfect and entire, lacking nothing. That's God's intention. And, And his love and his concern means that He never goes farther than we can bear. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 3 says that God sits as a refiner and purifier of silver. And He shall purify the sons of Levi, purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. read an article on that text, where in order to understand the meaning better, this idea of a refiner of silver, a woman called a silversmith and made an appointment to go watch him work and learn about his trade. And she didn't mention anything about the reason for her interest beyond her curiosity about the process of refining silver. And as she watched the silversmith, he held a piece of silver over the fire and he let it heat up. And he explained that in refining silver, one needed to hold the silver in the middle of the fire where the flames were hottest in order to burn away all the impurities. And the woman thought about God holding us in such a hot spot. Then she thought again about the verse that says He sits as a refiner and a purifier of silver. And she asked the silversmith if it was true that he had to sit there in front of the fire the whole time the silver was being refined. And the man answered that yes, he not only had to sit there holding the silver, but he had to keep his eye on the silver the entire time it was in the fire. Because if it was, if the temperature got a little too hot, if it was left there for just a little bit too long in the flames, that, that planchette of metal would actually be destroyed. And the woman was silent for a moment. And then she asked the silversmith this question. She said, Well, how do you know when it's done? And the man smiled at her and answered, Oh, that's easy. When I see my reflection in it. That's how he knows. The impurities are gone. Folks, when you feel the heat of the fire, we need to remember that our loving God has his eye on us every moment. He's promised never to leave us or forsake us. And he will keep watching until he sees his image, his reflection being formed in you. Trials reveal God's love for us. And that love shows itself in that God wants something better in your life. right? If, if trials are the, the pathway to maturity, that's what God wants. That's what He's wanting to accomplish. He's not trying to break you. He's not trying to wear you down. He's not trying to turn you against Him. He is trying to bring you on that path of Christlikeness. He is trying to lead you along that path of maturity. And He is laying out the path before you because he loves you. You know, sometimes that pathway involves some chastening. You know, I think sometimes maybe we're ultra quick to identify trials as chastening. And 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 certainly it is good for us to be a student and not a victim. And and say, "Lord, what do you want me to learn from this?" But you know, a lot of times it isn't necessarily that God is is chastening us in the in the punishment aspect as it is, you know, he recognizes our immature he recognizes our needs and He wants to bring us along the path. But you know, even when it is chastening, Hebrews says, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If he endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is He whom the Father chasteneth not? You know, trials are sent from the Lord because He loves us. And they're necessary for our spiritual growth. And it may be a a chastening thing to turn us away from a particular pattern of living. It may just be something to kind of guide us in a direction. It may be to teach us something that we just need to know, that we haven't experienced before. All those things God in His wisdom lays out before us, it's the pathway to maturity. He takes us along it. He leads us through those trials one by one. Trials are sent from the Lord. And trials are necessary for our spiritual growth. That's what he desires for us. And folks, the reality is the means by which God accomplishes spiritual growth in our life. And I realize this is a simplification, but really it's twofold. It's teaching and testing. That's that's how God works. It's truth and, and trials. You know, any of you who have been a parent, you know how that goes, right? You you teach your child certain things, you lay it out for them, you explain them, and, and then you set up some parameters to see if they got it, and, and if they will obey it, and you try to help them live out what you have taught them. It's it's not enough just to say it. We've got we got to be tried so we see if we really mean it. Earlier we read Philippians four, right? We read four nineteen. Okay? But my God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now, that's easy to say. And, and, and I think probably most of us here, maybe all of us here would say, I think that's true. You know, I think that indeed, that, that promise is true. God will supply all my need. Okay? That's the teaching part, right? It's here in God's Word. We have been taught that God is the great provider, that He cares for us, that He loves us. He will meet every need that we have. But you know whether we're going to live that out, right? James is about living out. Not just saying, but doing. If we're going to live that out, that means that we're going to have some times when we're under pressure where we need to trust God to provide rather than be able to make it all work by our own doing of the numbers and, and, and pursuing this and dealing with that and, you know, and doing it in our own fleshly strength. And sometimes God brings us to a point where He says, now you said that you believe I'll supply all your needs according to my riches and glory by Christ Jesus. You say that. Let's see now if you'll live it. Let's, let's put you in that refining fire where you feel that kind of pressure about provision. You know, and, and, and the cupboard is bare and the house is being foreclosed on. doesn't mean that He's going to do that with everybody. But you know what? If He does that with you, He's trying to help you really live out, you know, I believe that God will provide all my needs according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. He wants us to live those things out. So He teaches us. And He tests us. And he is a loving parent who does that. You know, I, I respond to different children differently than my own children. Okay, you know, those for whom I am a parent, I have a deeper level of concern, shall we say, than than other children. And there's an example here recently. We got a little guy in our neighborhood. He's a fun, loving little kid. He's you know, wild and crazy, you might say. And and there was one day, and I was walking out and just getting into my car, and he just bolted across the street without. And, uh, and in my mind, I'm just, you know, thinking, you know, you better watch yourself, young man, or you're, you're going to find yourself run over by a car, you know. I wasn't really a very good neighbor because I just kind of contented myself in thinking, watch out, kid. One of my neighbors who was out in his front yard saw him. He went over to this little guy, and he took him aside, and he said, you're, you're going to get run over if you do that. And, and he talked to him about cars. He's got a little child about around the same age. And, and the dangers that were there. And he said, now I want you. Okay, so he taught him. And he said, now I want you to walk back across the street and do just what I have told you to do. You know, look both ways, whatever. And he taught him and he tested him. And that's what God does with us. He, he teaches us through his word who he is, what he desires, all kinds of things. He gives us all these promises. And then he tests us. Now, you've said you believe this. Do you really? Will you live it out? Will you embrace that truth during times of trial? So You can find joy in trials if you'll remember the trials are the pathway to maturity. You can find joy in trials if you'll remember the trials demonstrate God's love and concern for you. Third, you can find joy in trials if you'll remember the trials help you recognize the need for God in your life. We tend to go through life and just kind of think we can do it on our own. We wouldn't say that. But we just kind of live in a practical sense doing our own thing and and, and trusting our own resourcefulness and our own abilities. and, And we kind of lose sight of the fact that we desperately, desperately, desperately need God. And so God brings along those trials to say, you need to see that you need me. You need to remember that you can't go it alone. You know, you might be going it alone in a very orderly, noble, honorable way, but that's not enough. You need to be trusting in me for everything. Little things, getting a cold, big things, being bereaved of a family member, whatever it might be, you need to be trusting me. You need to recognize the need for God in your life. He is the source of all that we need. Our flesh wants to kind of just float along our own way. And, and we enjoy it when, when, when things are comparatively comfortable. And when the trials are small. you know, And we can kind of negotiate those trials without much help from God. and and, and get by, and and go along that way. And and you know what? We're not growing. We're not on the pathway of maturity. And so sometimes God needs to bring along something that that kind of rocks our world, and something that kind of shakes us up, and says, you know what? You need me. Folks, we need trials in our life because they show us that we need God in our life. A.W. Tozer said this. He said, The fallow field is smug, contented, protected from the shock of the plow and the agitation of the harrow. Such a field as it lies year after year becomes a familiar landmark to the crow and the blue jay. Safe and undisturbed, it sprawls lazily in the sunshine. The picture of sleepy contentment. Now, a few weeks ago, I talked to you about fallow ground. Remember that? Okay, That's ground that's been cultivated in the past, but then left dormant, maybe for years. And during that time, the surface of the ground gets hardened and crusty, and it's no longer fruitful. It's not producing a yield. It's barren, maybe overgrown by weeds. And he talks here about the fallow field being smug, contented, protected from the shock of the plow, the agitation of the harrow. Okay, For you non-farming types like me, a harrow is a cultivating implement. Maybe it's got spikes on it. Maybe it's got drill rings on it. Maybe it's got spring uh, little little holes, but you drag it across the ground and it digs it up and it stirs it up. And it just is one of those steps in preparing for planting. And he says the fallow field is smug. It's just kind of content with its hardness and with its normalcy and with being undisturbed. And he says, but it is paying a terrible price for its tranquility. Never does it see the miracle of growth. Never does it feel the motions of mounting life nor see the wonders of bursting seed nor the beauty of ripening grain. Fruit it can never know because it is afraid of the plow and the harrow. In direct opposite to this, the cultivated field has yielded itself to the adventure of living. The protecting fence has opened to admit the plow and the plow has come as plows always come. Practical cruel, businesslike, and in a hurry. Peace has been shattered by the shouting farmer and the rattle of machinery. The field has felt the travail of change. It's been upset, turned over, bruised and broken, but its rewards come hard upon its labors. The seed shoots up into the daylight of its miracle of life, curious, exploring the new world above it. All over the field, the hand of God is at work in the age-old and ever-renewed service of creation. New things are born to grow, to mature, to consummate the grand prophecy latent in the seed when it entered the ground. Folks, that's what God wants to do in our lives. He wants to come in suddenly. He wants to shake us up. He wants to dig deep. He wants to cut sometimes. Not because He's mean. He does it out of love. Because that is the pathway to growth. And then the seed sprouts and it brings forth life and it perpetuates its purpose. It's not just there to hold weeds. It's not just there to sit there. It's there to grow some, some produce to bring forth a great harvest. And folks, that's what God wants from you. And me. And if we get comfortable in the absence of trials and, and pray for the absence of trials and do everything that we can to avoid any difficulty and just try to go it on our own rather than saying, God, I don't know what you're doing, but I can trust you. And, and, and I can see what you want to do. And I'm going to count it joy. You know, the, the leading thought in my mind is going to be that, you know, God is up to something good here and I'm going to trust Him for it. And this is going to bring fruitfulness in my life. And this is going to bring spiritual growth in my life. This is going to be transformative in my life. And if we will have that attitude, doesn't mean the trials will be less painful. Surely doesn't mean they'll be less frequent. It doesn't mean the things will be easy. But you know what? We will, we will see the benefits rather than focusing on the pain. And we will see what God is wanting to do and how he can use us and the fruitfulness that can come of it, even in that hard time, even in that difficulty. Folks, God wants us to grow spiritually. And trials are the pathway to spiritual maturity. And God brings them because he loves us. One last thought, number four. You can find joy in trials if you'll remember that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Right? That's what Nehemiah 8.10 says. The joy of the Lord is your strength. We need to have a characteristic outlook of seeing things in, in the positive sense of what God is doing. Count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptation. We need to have a characteristic outlook that sees the goodness of God in everything, you know, including and maybe especially in trials. So how do you find joy in the face of trials? You can find joy in trials if you'll remember that trials are the pathway to maturity. You can find joy in trials if you'll remember that trials demonstrate God's love and concern for you. You can find joy in trials if you'll remember that trials help you recognize how desperately you need God in your life. You can find joy in trials if you'll remember that the joy of the Lord is our strength. That's how Paul and Silas can sing. The joy of the Lord is their strength. You know, It isn't physical strength. It isn't the absence of pain, it's a realization that you know what? God was going to do some amazing things and it might take some suffering to get there and it may take some intense hardship, it might even take their death. They didn't know, but you know what? They could find joy because they felt like God was going to do something good and indeed God did. You know, as a result of their trials. And there was a harvest. And there was a fruitfulness. And there was growth in their lives and growth in their usefulness in the lives let me summarize with this thought. Folks, God will take you where you haven't intended to go in order to produce in you what you could not achieve on your own. Okay? There's you know, kind of a moral about trials, I suppose. God will take you where you haven't intended to go in order to produce in you what you could not achieve on your own. And folks, that is an act of God's grace. And we need to be comforting and encouraging one another with the theology of uncomfortable grace. Because in this time when you need to be refined, often the grace of the Lord will come to you in uncomfortable forms. But it is God's grace. And it is God's goodness. And that's why James says you can look at those trials and experience joy. Because those trials are no longer for you a sign of God's unfaithfulness or God's inattention, those trials are a sure sign of his transforming love and his amazing grace. I know there are some of you right here, and you are experiencing trials the likes of which I, I can't, I'd like to say I, I can empathize, empathize, I can understand, but I realize I can't. I haven't been through some of those same things. You know, I, I'm experiencing trials that some of you aren't going through. And all of us, as the days bring forth, we're going to experience these kinds of things and we've got to go about it with that mindset that, you know what, this is the good hand of God. This is his grace in my life. This is Christ at work in my life. And you know, that that can revolutionize our thinking and and how we deal with hardship and, and difficulties. You know, imagine how you might live if that was your frame of reference, you know, think of the things that frustrate you, the things that, that you, know, you get upset about, the things that you're all full of worry about. Imagine if, by God's grace, you would really begin to count those things joy and say, you know what? The joy of the Lord is my strength and I see what God is doing here. I may not fully understand exactly how this all flushes out, but I know God's doing something good. and He's leading me along the pathway of grace. And he's doing it because he loves me. And he wants to make me more fruitful and usable to him and more like him that others might see that. Some of you are older and, and experiencing the kind of thing that my mom is experiencing. Many of you have asked me about that. You know, my, my mom is declining. She'll be 85 here next month. And, and she's, you know, weakening considerably. I mean, just in, since the last couple months ago when I was there, last, considerably declining. Um, but in, you know, comparatively good spirits, and I, and I was thankful for that, but but very, very wearing down and worn down. And, you know, it, I didn't have this conversation with her because I just couldn't bring myself to, but, you know, probably we know where that leads. We don't know when, but, you know, it, it's probably not a case where we're going to pray for a recovery. You know? and, and yet there's an opportunity, even in situations like that, and, and some of you here are experiencing those kinds of things yourself. Um, you're experiencing them with, with loved ones. You know, those are opportunities to show that you, know, you can trust that God is good even in that situation. You know, even, you know, Arlene and Bill Ober, you can trust God even in a situation like that. It seems to hold no remedy and, and, and no likelihood that things are going to change radically for the easier. You know, and yet even in a situation like that, God is great, and God is good. And those of you who went last Sunday, for example, and spent time with Arlene and Bill, I, I bet I can speak to a person that you came away encouraged, encouraged by them, you know, encouraged by their grace in times of trial. God, God is using us in all of these things in all kinds of different ways. And, and it begins by even through tears, counting it joy. Even in sorrow, counting it saying, you know what, God has great plans. He's a good God. He's a loving God. He's going to do great things for me. Let me ask you to stand here.